Good evening, Sangha. <clears throat> Tonight I am going to talk and have us reflect on other very, very positive qualities that are thought to be essential in, uh, in our path to awakening. We're working on metta loving kindness here and we're um, also having afternoon training and practice in the other three divine abodes, uh, the Brahma Viharas. You know, we're doing compassion and sympathetic, empathetic joy and equanimity. But there's another list, another really beautiful list of positive mental qualities that are thought to be the uh, cause and condition for awakening to arise. When, um, when the Buddha, the night he became uh, awakened, he was sitting under the tree in Bodhgaya, meditating, and a, and a Mara, you know Mara, which is delusion, ignorance, came to visit him. And um, he had, and uh, Mara said, who do you think you are to sit there and become enlightened? And he had a, you know, a flash of self-doubt there. Well, who am I? So he touched the earth. And uh, in this one story that I really love, the earth rose up as this beautiful goddess. You know, this Prajna Paramita figure, this goddess rose up and said, um, you deserve to be enlightened, evidenced by your multiple lifetimes of um, purification and cultivation. You know, you have all of the paramis are so strong in you and you absolutely deserve and it is your right to, right to be awakened. And uh, with that, Mara just ran off. Ooh, okay. <laughs> and then the Buddha got awakened. But, uh, you know, the earth goddess, the earth said, yes, you have worked so many countless lifetimes developing the paramis, the positive qualities. So I want to talk about them. And I'll read another little story that I think speaks to this as well. I'll get a little bit indigy on us all. So this is the story of the old Cherokee grandfather and his grandson. Many of you, I'm sure, have heard this. An old Cherokee grandfather is teaching his grandson about life. A fight is going on inside me, he said to the boy. It is a terrible fight, and it is between two wolves. One is evil. They have anger and envy, greed, self-pity, resentment, false pride, and lots of ego. He continued telling his grandson, the other is good. They have wisdom and joy and peace, kindness, generosity, compassion, and faith. And then the old man turned to his grandson and said, and you know, grandson, the same fight is going on inside you and inside every other person as well. The grandson thought about it for a minute and then asked his grandfather, 
which wolf will win? The old Cherokee simply replied, the one you feed. And, uh, you know, I have this dear friend, Pam Jumper Thurman, who's Cherokee, and I ask her, is that a Cherokee story? She goes, oh, yeah, yeah, that's our story. (laughs) So I feel okay about reading it. (laughs) But I want to read you another tale from from one of our spiritual grandfathers. This is all of our spiritual grandfather, not just this Cherokee grandson. This this is from... uh, a person who is all of our spiritual grandfathers. And this is from one of Ajahn Chah's books. So this is Ajahn Chah. And he is one of our spiritual grandfathers. Ajahn Chah says, this path consists of virtue, concentration, and wisdom, the framework for training the heart. Their true meaning is not to be found in these words, but dwells in the depth of our hearts. However, if the factors of the eightfold path are weak and timid, the defilements will possess our minds. If maga, the path, is strong and courageous, it will conquer and destroy the defilements. If the defilements that are powerful and brave, while the path is feeble and frail, the defilements conquer our hearts. As Dhamma practice develops in the heart, These two forces have to battle it out at every step of the way. The path guides and fosters our ability to see clearly. As long as we are able to see clearly, the defilements will be losing ground. But if we are shaky, whenever defilements regroup and regain their strength, the path will be routed as defilements take its place. These two sides will continue to fight it out until eventually there is a victor and the whole affair is settled. It's essentially the same story. What are we feeding in our lives? What are we cultivating? So many many of us probably know about the Paramis They are another list of very, very positive qualities uh, that we can train in and develop in our hearts the same way that we are developing uh, metta and the other Brahmaviharas. And the paramis are very uh, helpful and useful because they represent a path to practice that is not just on the cushion or is not just, you know, informal meditation practice. But we can be reflecting on what paramis are coming up throughout our day, you know, throughout our day, as we go about our jobs or relating to our partners or our kids or our neighbors. You know, this is an opportunity for us to do the diligent work of transformation of, you know, feeding the good wolf as much as, uh, you know, to take every opportunity to do it. This is one of the practices that we can take everywhere. So the paramis are inclinations and potentials that we develop into clear intentions. And that's what we're really doing with the metta. You know, sometimes when we're doing the meditation, we're having this really beautiful brilliant feeling of love and kindness and spaciousness in our hearts. 
But even when we're doing the meditation and we're not feeling that, we're still watering the seeds of our intention to feel that and to manifest that. So it's not like, you know, it's time wasted at all. It's building the strength of our intention for that to be our response to many situations in life. So we might think about the um, paramis when we have those thoughts, you know, those mental habit patterns that, you know, I see in myself all the time, I see right here, and I've heard in the groups and in, you know, our communities, uh, these are very common, you know, unwholesome, we call them klesas in Pali, you know, uh, really unwholesome habit patterns that we have all the time. Some might be something like, you know, something happens and then we think, oh, this is what I deserve, either for the good or for the bad, right? Something comes to us by some uh, miraculous thing and we think, oh, well, I deserve this. Or maybe we don't get something and we think, well, I should have got that inf- instead of that other person. I think that a lot myself, so <laughs> I'm sure many of us feel that way. And then things like, um, I'm going to do this, or it's even an unconscious thing. This is what I always do. This is how I always react to something. It's one of those habit patterns. And then another habit po- pattern from unconscious um, thoughts about ourselves or uh, habit patterns are things like, oh, this is the only thing I'm capable of. I really can't do more than this. And it's so beautiful when we're doing uh, metta, we're hearing so much about how our um, unwholesome um, mental habit pattern of not good enough comes up. Not good enough comes up a lot while we're doing metta. I have this one paper I've been telling the teaching team about that I'm sure any of you could find it. It's called um, The Conceit of Self-Loathing. Right? When we're always thinking, oh, I don't deserve this. I can't have this. You know, for me, it feels like a... um, it feels like a tension or contraction when I see that my mind has wandered or that I'm greedy or aversive. And um, this is still, it's a, an expression of conceit because it's still all about me, 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 right? So some of us might uh, think that it's a, an expression of humility, but there is some conceit in there. So just as we're practicing metta, uh, loving kindness and equanimity, we can work with um, developing the 10 paramis. And let me, just, um, let me just read them off. And while I'm reading them off, let's, do, let's all do a quick uh, self-assessment. I actually have a pyramid test here. That's what we academics do, right? (laughs) But I'm happy to share that if anybody wants it. Actually, my uh, sitting group in Seattle, we're the crones, you know, taking back the power of old women. And we're actually studying the paramis right now as a, as, you know, what our sangha is doing. So it's very 
kind of resonant and up for me right now. So let's, so I will read the 10 wholesome energies, these 10 wholesome potentials. I mean, we all have a little bit or more of a little bit of this, but I want us to think about a few things when I read what the parami is. Why don't we think first about um, ways that this parami has been shown to us on this retreat as we're in practice how people have offered us this parami and maybe ways that we have offered this parami to others on this retreat. And it could be that we haven't. That's important to know too. And then it's said that uh, we are born with some um, positive mental qualities where some or another of these paramis will be have been strong for us for a lot of our lives and others totally, we don't see it. So we can also think about that, about is this a parami that is naturally arising and inherent in me or is this a parami that I really need to do some work on? So let's start. So the first parami is giving or generosity. Donna. Its characteristic or what it does is it relinquishes. Its function is to dispel greed for that which can be given away. It manifests as non-attachment and the proximal cause of generosity to arise is having something that can be given away or relinquished. So, you know, think a little self-assessment. How, you know, has generosity been a strong or weak force in your life? Is this something that you would take specifically to work on or is this something that you would maybe wait until um, doing some other less predominant paramis. And let's just recall for a second acts of generosity that uh, towards us while we have been on retreat. What are some acts of generosity that we have encountered? When we reflect on it, how does it make us feel? And we can think about any acts of generosity we might have offered while on retreat. The second parami is sila, morality, virtue, or integrity. Its function is to have blameless, con- uh, blameless conduct, conduct and the bliss of blamelessness. I'm sure many of you have heard that. The bliss of blamelessness. We love that. In the middle of turmoil, it's really sweet to sit with the bliss of blamelessness. 
It manifests as moral purity or integrity. And the proximal cause for integrity to arise are Hiri and Otapa, these two beautiful mental qualities. Um, their their um, translation is probably not that great. It's shame of wrongdoing or fear of wrongdoing. Uh, we often get these on retreat when we remember things that we've done that have hurt people and we just have a sense of dread and shame of, wow, that was really a very unwholesome thing. But that's actually a very positive mental quality to have, to feel what it's like to have hurt or been hurt. So it's the shame of wrongdoing and that produces in us a really strong desire not to hurt anybody. You know, to really refrain and be conscious of, uh, heedful, I guess the term is heedful, and just knowing what we're doing in the moment. So think on this retreat. Have we been the recipient of integrity? People uh, keeping the precepts is an offering to us of integrity. And our keeping the precepts is an offering to our community of integrity. The next parami is renunciation. And uh, this looks like restraint. And the function of it is to verify or know the unsatisfactoriness of sensual pleasure. You know, maybe unsatisfactoriness meaning, you know, it could be very short-lived. Some things might be incredibly pleasant for a little while, but their sense of satisfaction never stays. It always fades away. That's their function. Uh, They manifest as letting go. We can let go of wanting a lot of sensual attachment. And uh, the proximal cause of it is some vega or spiritual urgency. You know, feeling like, I've just got to get this done. A feeling of, you know, wanting to just practice as hard as we can to get done with this. And then when we have good renunciation, that leads to panya or wisdom. That looks like clarity. All of those veils of delusion or greed, hatred and delusion over our perception get cleared. And their function is to, we see very clearly the field that we're in. It manifests in non-confusion where we're just clear and we know how things work. Probably it is letting go of a lot of conceptual mind as well, a lot of thinking. You know, I think this is a product of intuitive awareness or really unobstructed um, intuitive awareness. So it's probably not a lot of chatter going on. And uh, what the proximal cause of um, wisdom to arise is an insight into the Four Noble Truths. Wisdom leads to energy, virya, 
which manifest as a sincere, um, almost like selfless desire for practice, really being able to continue the practice without, um, you, you might call it effortless effort. Its function is to fortify practice It looks like uh, we are unfatigable. Being tired just doesn't arise. And its proximal cause is also sp- some vega or spiritual urgency. Energy and effort leads to patience. How many of us have really strong patience? Kanti. Its characteristic is to accept how things are, to just be okay, and to accept that things are like this. When we have patience, we cultivate endurance. We're able to endure some of the things that, you know, might have previously uh, sent us running or screaming. It manifests as tolerance. And the proximal cause for that is seeing things as they really are. Patience leads to truthfulness. And that is just in our own hearts and outside, just non-deceptiveness, seeing clearly and just being very truthful about what's going on in the moment. Uh, Truthfulness is said to cultivate Cultivate authenticity. Isn't that a beautiful thought that honesty cultivates authenticity where we're really showing others and ourselves, you know, what's going on right now? Who is this being, you know? Uh, Its manifestation is excellence and its proximal cause is honesty. Truthfulness leads to determination, aditana. It looks like steadfastness, determination. It also uh, sustains clarity for us, allows us to see clearly. It looks like tenacity, you know, being able to stay with something. And it is also um, uh, uh, the uh, spiritual urgency is also the condition for that to arise. And all of these lead to what we have been practicing here, lead to the ninth parami, which is loving kindness or metta. Metta looks like friendliness. And underneath it, there is the intention to promote the well-being of any living thing or of our community. Having loving kindness, the practice that we're doing here is removing resentment. We might not even know that, but it is removing resentment that we have. Resentment towards ourselves or our environment, our community. 
it looks like kindness. And the proximal cause of loving kindness to arise is reflecting on the goodness of other people. That's easy loving kindness. <laughs> We're sending it to a lot of different um, recipients this week. And loving kindness leads to equanimity. Upeka, whose characteristic or it feels like neutrality. Its function is impartiality. You know, our ability to say whatever arises, I'm going to be with that. It doesn't matter. And when we have strong equanimity, it subsides our desire. Our desire is really lessened. And the proximal cause for equanimity to arise is understanding kama. That makes total sense to me. So where do we think, what do we think we were born with or can trace as we were, you know, from being, from when we were kids? You know, I'll just probably give you some TMI, too much information, but I think that I have some inherent generosity, and I can even see that when I was a kid. Generosity was just like a natural virtue that I had. Um, Truthfulness, I think I have truthfulness. I'm able to just tell you pretty much anything about myself. I don't care. But... I think that when uh, we have these strengths, carrying them too far can also be a weakness when, you know, they're not balanced. Because sometimes my truthfulness uh, is also being truthful about other people as well. (laughs) And I think that kind of carries it into the unwholesome framework or realm there. So yeah, we have to check into it. And there are phrases, just to let you know, there are phrases for each of these paramis. I will post them on the board if I get the okay from the team to just see how we might um, bring a parami to mind when we uh, need it. But there is a very specific training in the suttas in... um, you know, the Buddhist text about how to develop paramis. There are three stages of developing paramis. There's the initiating phase, the gathering phase, and the completion phase. So the initiating, initiating phase is when we bring a topic to mind. Even just to bring a topic to mind is very useful. And what it does is it kind of taps into the built-in seeds that we have of this positive quality in our heart and mind. And uh, it kind of gives it priority over other values that we have, which might be just going out and having fun or doing something for convenience or style or worldly performance or success. So even just bringing this to mind... And you know what is so fascinating? 
You know, I just taught right before this one the um, Mindfulness for Everybody Without the Hype retreat. It was a brilliant retreat. I love the co-teachers were Diana Winston, who runs the UCLA Mindfulness Facilitation Program, and um, Alex Haley from uh, Minnesota Dharma. And uh, we were essentially teaching this very same thing of initiating. And we were, we were relying on neuroscience <laughs> about how to build up resiliency and strength, uh, how to um, uh, give ourselves some resiliency and fortitude in the midst of very challenging times, in the midst of a lot of stress. This is routinely taught to um, providers, you know, social service or healthcare providers, or even you know, parents who maybe be struck, who might be struggling with some kids, some behave, you know, some acting out behavior, or uh, in partnerships, people who are, you know, trying to be patient with some craziness our partners might be involved with, or even our puppies, right? <laughs> so this initiating phase. So the way that neuroscience talks about it is that um, what we do, in fact, there's a, uh, uh, you know, uh, is it an acronym? Or uh, I guess it's an acronym. It's the term HEAL. Just as RAIN, we use uh, RAIN for, to remember when we're struggling, we go to RAIN to kind of figure out what's happening. I'm sure we all know RAIN stands for Recognize what is happening, um, investigate or inquire, not with a lot of concepts, but just with some mindfulness. And um, our, uh, oh, accept and allow, regardless of what it is, just open to what it is. And then, you know, a reflection of, I didn't invent this, you know, this is what part of what being human is. That's RAIN. And there's a really sweet little um, acronym here, HEAL, to have us initiate really positive qualities. And that is, let's do it right now. So let's do it right now. So let's just do a little reflection of how we're feeling right now. And if we're having any positive qualities right now. Or if there's anything positive happening in our, our hearts and our minds. Notice. What is going right right now? What are we feeling? Right now I'm feeling a lot of tenderness of heart. I'm feeling really tender. And it feels good. And it feels definitely like a heart that's cleaned up a little bit. And then what we do after we notice I guess the H stands for um, have a beneficial experience. And in this way, we're installing. And at any time, you know, it's not just right now that we're in the middle of a mindful, uh, you know, a metta loving kindness retreat. I'm sure any time walking around during the day or in our lives, we could stop and have a reflection. You know, what is going right, right right now? What is really working right now? So that is having a positive experience, bringing it to mind, noticing it, really noticing it. 
And we can, you know, do that and have the list of paramis. Is there any parami that is present? Is patience present right now? Generosity, sila, truthfulness. Just go through the list. Is that, is that present right now? And then the second thing we do for it is we, um, we enrich the experience, that's the E. We enrich it by just reflecting on what that brings to our lives. You know, what is a feeling of tenderness of the heart doing for me right now? What is it uh, inclining to arise? And it's gratitude is arising. I'm so grateful to be with you all because you are my community right now. You know, I feel that your presence and all of our work together, I'm so grateful for it because it is helping this tenderness become uh, evident. So that's how we enhance the experience or enrich the experience by just uh, reflecting on what it leads to. And then we absorb the experience just, and this is one that I like to do is realizing that all of these um, qualities have an energetic hit to it. It's not just, you know, an emotion or thoughts. There is a hit to it that is in the body, an energetic field of it that we can put our mindfulness around and really soak up. And I love to do that. I love to just kind of soak in the, right now I'm just going to soak in tenderness for a second, yeah and in gratefulness and gratitude for this community. Oh, it feels so good. It's tender. So I'm absorbing the experience. And then the fourth one is link, where we link positive and negative material. I might think, well, what's the opposite of tenderness? probably something like indifference or being totally shut off from, you know, a capacity to know what's happening with others and myself. So saying, yeah, this is a lot better than indifference and being numb, being numb to what's happening around me. So, and that's essentially what the Buddha taught. That's what neuroscience is selling right now. And it's so beautiful to know that neuroscience doesn't have anything on the Buddha. (laughs) You know, I mean, he was training people to do this 2,600 years ago, you know, to really feed the right wolf, right? To know what we're feeding when we're walking around in life. So that's the first stage of um, cultivating a parami is the initiation stage. Another analogy is that we have, uh, we're lighting a fire. We notice a fire or ignite a fire. That could be um, just bringing to mind, you know, what's happening in this moment that might be positive. And then we enrich and protect the fire. You know, we're protecting the fire and putting more logs on the fire. And that could be just thinking of 
um, you know, how this allows us to walk in the world and how this makes us feel and how beautiful it is to maybe offer these traits to the people that we love and to our community. And then uh, to absorb uh, uh, the fire or to just feel the warmth of the fire in our body is how we um, uh, enrich and sustain the experience. That's, you know, what they're saying turns a state into a trait that builds the strength of that parami in us. And um, when we need it, when we need patience and all of these other paramis, you know, that is more, uh, more likely to arise than what the opposite would be. You know, greed and impatience and uh, lack of integrity. So, initiating. And then gathering, the gathering stage. This is a really interesting one. Uh, This is uh, part of the sutta training on gathering a parami. And this is when you apply a parami, even in the face of opposition. Your own opposition or other people's opposition. Like, you know, maybe you're wanting to be kind or... um, you know, stick to some element of your integrity to tell, to be truthful about what's happening in, a mo- in the moment or be patient with uh, uh, something or some situation, even when you feel the exact opposite and especially when you feel the exact opposite. When all the people are around you are saying, screw it, you know, we're just gonna, uh, we're just going to take all of this stuff for ourselves and... Uh, we don't need to share this with anyone. And when people are around us or in our own mind, the desire to uh, maybe take what is not given or you know, engage in some innocent flirting that might be a little bit of sexual misconduct or something like that. To um, have this quality strong enough in us that when we're doing the opposite, that one uh, arises and knocks on our door and says, hey, what are you doing here? You know? So that's the gathering stage. When we are, you know, using the the energetic field of both the unwholesome thing and the parami, uh, and we're, you know, going towards the wholesome thing, even in the face of opposition, of our own opposition or another's opposition. I think this happens a lot. I think of my life uh, in business, you know, my work environment. There's always some type of granting privilege and voice to um, some element of the work that is not necessarily very uh, inclusive. And again, the way that I'm understanding greed, hatred, and delusion right is right now is, you know, laissez-faire capitalism and colonialism and patriarchy. When we don't have the strength or the wisdom to know how to hold that with some clarity and patience and discernment. 
even when it's not convenient to hold, you know, to bring up a parami, even when it's not convenient. So let's reflect. When's the last time that we did that? Can you think of that? Maybe even on this retreat where you were, a habit pattern arose to maybe not be generous or to, you know, take more than we should have or to have not being careful about the beings around us. And when, you know, the opposite arose and we kind of strengthened that walking around in the world instead of watering the seeds of, you know, those habit patterns, those less than wholesome habit patterns. So that's the second stage of developing a parami, the gathering stage. And that's when you're up against some opposition and you still do it. You choose what is most helpful for yourself and others in the long run, what will strengthen that parami, that positive quality. So the first is just bringing them to mind. The second is gathering and doing them, engaging in them, even in the face of opposition. And the third stage is the completion stage. That's when the parami is absolutely strong. And it's said that when that parami is at its fullest, in its perfection, you know, that's the, one of the English translations of parami is perfections. When it's in its perfect state, uh, then it manifests as um, it will arise when you need it and it will take you through any obstacles. And actually it's said that in its completed state, you would give up your life not to, uh, you know, uh, manifest the opposite of that parami. You'd say, hey, come and get me, I don't care. You know, this is what I'm about. This is my integrity right now. And it doesn't even matter. So the completion stage. I think we're all working on that. Trying to develop. You know, right now we're working on metta loving kindness and the rest of the Brahma Viharas. And we might, when we're walking around, when we're not sitting on the cushion and practicing, you know, specifically cultivation or walking meditation, we can just watch what's happening right here with our sati, with our mindfulness and see is the wholesome manifesting or is something else manifesting? And I think it's always, um, you know, I'm sure, I remember someone said it during a Dharma talk that the Buddha said, you can look in every direction, you can look above and below to the south and to the west and to the north and to the east. You can look everywhere for someone who is more deserving of getting treated with this integrity or these positive qualities. 
you look you can look everywhere for someone who is more deserving than yourself to be treated with these and you will never find anyone more deserving than yourself you won't find anybody who's less deserving <laughs> but you won't find anybody who's more deserving either so i'll put the list up on the board and the phrases that might go with it. If someone is feeling like the opposite of some of these are preventing us from really engaging in the practice more deeply, or maybe I'll put it in at the, up at the end of the retreat. I have to check with my f- fellow teachers here. It's not a decision that just I would make. So they'll be available to you at some point. How about that? <laughs> My generosity will be manifest sometime. (laughs) So let's sit for a minute and feed the good wolf, the wolf of loving kindness, of kindness. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.